Good afternoon, everyone. Our leadership, we just came back from our new Philly Hillside Leadership Retreat. We had a fantastic time. Uh, God just pouring out his spirit continually upon all of our campuses. Uh, such a delight to see. Uh, there was just, um, people were just getting set free throughout the weekend uh, through our healing and deliverance ministry that we had uh, going on in our small groups throughout the retreat where people got to, the Bible says, confess your sins to each other that you may be healed. And that, that verse has a lot more meaning than what we might think. And as people were confessing their sins to each other, they were being healed. They were being set free, delivered. Not only that, man, just God was just showing up in power during the services. Uh, there was some crazy praise last night I heard. People just jumping up and down. Some guy took the mic and just started spinning around and singing. I don't know what happened, but New Philly got to get a hold of, get a grip on that. You can't just let nobody grab the mic like that. Hey, can you point to AC up? Um, so, yeah, we had a wonderful time, and we're just so thankful to God. I also want to thank the, um, take a moment to thank the worship team. I remember uh, when I was younger, I used to uh, lead the worship team for my church in New Jersey. And it takes a lot of time to, do, to lead a praise team. Uh, it takes a lot of physical manual labor. You got to carry all the mixers, the amps, the speakers, the equipment. It takes a lot of labor and time. And the praise team, they do that week in and week out. They do that for the major events and retreats. And they do it without getting any kind of public recognition normally. And we don't want to give them too much public recognition because we want their reward to be in heaven. Amen. But it's also good to honor and thank them now and then. So let's just thank the praise team for all the physical labor they put in. You guys will are, are already blessed because you're physically more healthy than most people in the church because of all that labor you do. <laughs> all right, today, uh, Pastor Aaron was supposed to preach, but I got a word for you today. And so when I got a word, sometimes I just got to step in. And so today, I'm stepping in, if you don't mind. I'm going to preach a word that, that God has put on my heart this past week. He's just been speaking to me about it. And I just, in preparation for this message, I just got to meditate a little bit more. And I'm really excited to preach this word today. So turn to Ephesians chapter 2 in the New Testament. I'm going to read from the ESV. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. And let me get a little more mic. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22. I'm going to read in the ESV here. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who, were once, you who once were far off 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. By the way, the Apostle Paul loves run-on sentences. In fact, in the Greek, these are much longer run-on sentences. The English translators actually shorten it with a period. But anyway, let's keep going. I was at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were, who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. All right, let me break it down for you today. The apostle Paul here is addressing the Gentile believers in Ephesus. The word Gentile in the Greek is ethnos. Everybody say ethnos. And it literally means a race, tribe, or nation of people. And it is where we get the English word ethnicity. Now, to the Jews, it meant any foreign race of pagan or godless people. So it meant more than just people group. It meant the pagan godless people group. So a modern equivalent of the word Gentile will be more fitting as heathen or as Muslims like to use the word infidel. And so when the Jews, when, when the Apostle Paul is using this word Gentile, it's a very loaded term. It's talking about infidels, the godless folks of the land of Canaan. The people who do not know God, that, that, that are involved with all kinds of idolatry and occultism. And Paul talks about how before Christ came to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish heathens, that we were strangers to the covenant God, that God made with Israel, and how that Gentiles, we had no hope, and were, we, we were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, Gentiles who were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. Somebody say hallelujah. Read verse 14. It says, he himself is our peace who has made us both one. Somebody say one. one. Christ, has made, Christ has made us both one. Jew and Gentile, we are now one. So the chosen people of God no longer consists primarily of one people group, the Jews. For God is not simply the God of the Jews, but how many of you guys know that God is the God of the entire universe? He created all the peoples of the earth. And Christ has made us one. So this means that after the cross, the ecclesia, the ecclesia, the church, the called out people of God, includes both Jew and Gentile. 
Now, the early Jewish Christians did not understand this property. And so, in the very beginning, they mistakenly thought that the gospel was only for the Jews. And so, they were preaching the message of Jesus only to Jews. But God had to make it clear. And so, he gives Peter this vision of animals. Of samgipsar. Of pork and shrimp and all kinds of things that the Jews were not allowed to eat by the dietary restrictions. And God says, kill and eat. And then through that vision, after that vision, he leads Peter to go and preach to the house of Cornelius. Who were Gentiles at that time. And so by Peter preaching to uh, to Cornelius' house. And by God raising up the apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. God was making it very clear to the early believers. The gospel is for all people. Read verse 14 continually here. It says, He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, when you see that phrase, dividing wall of hostility, what do you think about? Or if you paid attention to Pastor Melwa's message last year, you would know that the dividing wall of hostility... It, it, it meant it had a deeper meaning than just what we might just read here. You see, Jews had a certain hostility toward Gentiles. The Jews saw the Gentiles as unclean because they failed to partake in Jewish customs. And oftentimes they regarded these heathen nations as only existing to punish the Jews for their disobedience. And so they, had, they were very condescending toward Gentiles. In one sense. Some scholars try to argue that. But you know. All I'm saying is that the Jews were very racist toward non-Jews. They were very. They considered Gentiles as unclean. In fact a good Jew. Was never expected to even step foot into the house of a Gentile. To do so was just taboo. It was forbidden. And so when Peter goes to Cornelius' house. The Holy Spirit leads him there. He's reluctant to even go into the house. But he knew that God was leading him very clearly. And so he goes and he preaches the gospel. And the Cornelius and his whole household believes in Christ. This hostility was vividly, physically seen when you go to the Jewish temple. If you Google and you look at a reconstruction of Herod's temple, which is the temple that was standing 2,000 years ago, you will see that the temple consists of various layers. And so... The Gentiles were only permitted in the outer court of the Gentiles. And then Jewish men and women were permitted into the court of women. And then only Jewish men were permitted inside the court of men. And then from there, only the high priests were allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And so there was various layers. And there was a physical barrier that was placed in the court of Gentiles. And it looked like this. You see that? Yeah, there it is. All right. So in the Greek, that literally reads, whoever is captured will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. Okay. All right. I thought, I thought you guys would be impressed by that. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So anytime a Gentile 
began to believe that the God of the Jews was actually the God of the universe, the one true God, they would try to seek out God. But when they go to the Jewish temple, they will see this every week. And they will say, they felt physically they could not draw near to God and they could not worship along with the Jews because the only place they were permitted was in the outer court of the Gentiles. And if they passed this, I don't know if the Jews believed that they would get struck down by God or if the Jews were committed to kill any Gentiles that actually uh, went through that barrier. And, you know, Muslims probably feel the same way today about their mosques. And I don't know if you want to test out, you know, uh, some of those Muslims. But, you know, to the Jews, they had that same kind of hostility. And so this physical monument, this physical piece in the temple was a constant reminder of the hostility that Jews had toward Gentiles. But brothers and sisters, what you have to know is this type of hostility was never God's heart. If you look in the Unger Dictionary, it's, he's, uh, the author Merrill Unger, he says this. The distinction between Israel and other nations, as was shown in the covenant with Abraham, was to be only for a time. In other words, it was only supposed to be temporary. And believing Gentiles in no age were excluded from sharing in the benefits conferred upon the Jews when they showed themselves willing to enter into the bond of the covenant. So if you really read the scriptures and you get the spirit of the law, you would understand that it was never God's intention to exclude the Gentiles. It was simply God's strategy to choose Abraham and his descendants. To bring the Christ into the world. But throughout that time, it was never God's intention to exclude or to prevent Gentiles from partaking in the worship of the one true God. In fact, even if you look inside the genealogy of of Jesus, you have Ruth, a Gentile, a heathen, a pagan, a woman. But Ruth is mentioned to show that it was God's heart all along was to go to the nations. You see it in the Abrahamic covenant. You'll be blessed to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Now, despite this type of interpretation, the Jews developed a strong nationalism and they were very ethnocentric. Now, do you guys know what ethnocentric means? Ethnocentric is when one evaluates another people or culture according to the standards of one's own culture. Sound familiar? Do some of you do that now and then? Well, it depends on where we're living, right? When we in Australia, oh, I'm going to be ethnocentric about Australia. But, you know, when, when I'm back in Texas, oh, I'm ethnocentric about Texas. Because, you know, Texas is, a, is its own country in America. There was this hostility between Jew and Gentile. And Ephesians 2.14, the Apostle Paul says that in Christ, he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And he has made us one. Talking about the church, the called out people of God. He has made us one. He abolished the law of commandments and ordinances so that we can eat samgyeopsal freely. And shrimp cocktails and lobster. He has abolished these laws so that, verse 15 and 16, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, 
so making peace and might reconcile us both to God, both Jew and Gentile to God, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Christ through the cross has killed the hostility. Amen? That means he has killed the racism. He has destroyed the prejudice, the ethnocentric attitude and pride. Any kind of social, racial, cultural, economic, educational barrier. He has destroyed it all. He has killed the hostility. That means that it is dead. Amen? Amen. Read verse 17 to 20. And he came and preached peace to you who are, one, who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. You are no longer strangers and aliens. Through faith in Christ, you are citizens. I know you carry one passport, but there's another passport you got right on your heart. You know, nowadays, passports, you get a little microchip. You don't even have to show no physical person your passport. I got global entry. That's where you apply for this high security clearance in America. And so, you know, I don't like them long immigration lines. So I apply for global entry and I got my little passport chip activated. And so whenever I go to JFK, I just say, see you later, suckers, everybody in line. (laughs) And I just go right to global entry. I just slide my thing in put my fingerprints. They say, welcome to the United States, Mr. Lee. And I said, thank you. I take a receipt and that's it. Nobody even talks to me. It's the way I like it. I know y'all carry a passport, but look, there's a passport that you got to always carry in your heart because you're citizens with the saints. All those who are holy ones washed by the blood of Christ. And not only that, it says we are members of the household of God. We are members of the family of God. Hallelujah. Verse 21, 22, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Christ destroyed the hostility and he also did away with the old temple system, with the court of Gentiles and the court of women. He's done away with all of that. This is good news. And scripture says there's a new temple being built. A holy one consisting of living stones joined together in Christ. And we are being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Today, I'm here to talk about how Christ died to build a multi-ethnic church. It's a message very few pastors preach on. Because when it comes down to it, they feel like a hypocrite. Because most of their churches are not multi-ethnic. Praise the Lord, here in New Philly, we're somewhat multi-ethnic. So I feel a little good about preaching this message. (laughs) I feel like we're practicing what we're preaching. But there's a lot of dynamics I want to draw out of this. In Galatians 3.26, it says, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And then it says in verse 28, Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, 
slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. You are all one. You're one happy family in Christ Jesus. Christ has destroyed the hostility. So let us build a church that reflects the destruction of this hostility and not the resurrection of it. Oh, it's about to get real right now. You know, at New Philly, we are quite diverse. We have people from Indonesia, Malaysia, Pakistan, England, Philippines, all the countries that I'm missing. South Africa, Rwanda, New Zealand. I'm sorry, New Zealand. I forgot there are people in New Zealand. We have people from all different kinds of nations. It's, it's pretty cool. And one, one day I want to do a demographic uh, survey to see how many nations are actually represented here. Um, and we also have uh, people of various ethnicities and skin color, but they have the same culture. So we have people from Malaysia, different skin color and race, but they're all, all, they all share it. They have the Malaysian gang going because they're all from the culture of Malaysia. Uh, We also have uh, a lot of Americans and the Canadians usually they they get slipped in there with with the Americans. It's okay. We embrace you. We'll take you. We take you in. Um, We have African Americans, Canadians. We have Caucasians. We have <laughs> we have Vietnamese Americans, we got Thai Americans, Chinese Americans, different ethnicities, different races, but same culture. Then we have the Koreans. The Koreans, in and of itself, is a huge, diverse mix. Well, a lot of people they don't recognize this. But if you look. We got people who are racially Korean in some way, but they are completely different culturally. They don't even understand each other sometimes. We got Korean Americans and Korean Canadians. Man, we don't understand each other sometimes. Uh, we got Korean Aussies. We got Korean Koreans. We got Korean adoptees. We got people who are half Korean. We got third culture kids, which are missionary kids or Kids of multinational corporations that lived abroad in two or more countries and have a a very unique sense of humor because of that. In fact, what's really interesting is the Korean diaspora and the Korean ethnicity today living in Seoul here in Korea, it's very similar to the Jews on the day of Pentecost. See, Jews on the day of Pentecost, you see, the Jews have been exiled and gathered and exiled. And so when the Jews gathered on the day of Pentecost, they represented all these different cultures, all these different languages. 
And that's why when the 120 disciples experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and they started speaking in tongues, some of them were amazed to understand the word of God being prophesied in their own dialect or language. You know, you have people like using saturi, you know, using Gyeongsangdo uh, saturi and Jeollado saturi and Seolmar. And then you got Midwest English, you got Ghetto English. You have Aussie English, you got New Zealand English, which I don't even see what the difference is, but was very similar to the Jews on the day of Pentecost. As we're a diverse group here, and I'm sure in Australia, we will eventually become a very diverse group as well as we grow. Itaewon, very diverse. Seaside, very diverse. And with with this diversity in race, ethnicity, culture, things aren't always comfortable or easy, is it? But we must understand that this is exactly the way the church is supposed to look. We've got to be multi-ethnic. Americans commonly say that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. That's because so many churches in America consist predominantly of one race or culture. And, this, and the reason this is so is because many times America still struggles with a lot of racism. I grew up surrounded by racism. You grew up in the Northeast country of America, North, Northeast section of America, there's a lot of racism. And people up in New York and Philly... They, they let you know. I remember one time, my youth group, we were running to go watch uh, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. And people were lined up, but we bought tickets in advance. And so we were late for the show. So we started running down the line. And then all these people, white people, black people, they were like, ching, chong, 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 wow! <laughs> and some of my, my Philly friends, you know, they weren't very good Christians. Some of them weren't even Christians yet. They wanted to just fight. Because, you know, they don't, they don't want to accept that kind of racism. But that's the kind of racism I saw growing up all the time. <clears throat> now, to be fair, America's come a long way. From Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, we've come a long way. But we still got a ways to go as well. Racism may not be so in your face, but it's still there. And what happens is that in America, many churches simply conform to the cultures in which they are located. And a lot of churches, they are stuck like 30 years ago. So the the ethnic makeup of their church is going to represent the racial kind of environment of America 30, 40 years ago. So it's very segregated still. You know what? Some churches, though, cannot be blamed. Immigrant churches are naturally going to attract people who speak the same language. And they're going to find it difficult to go beyond their ethnic boundaries. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about churches in America that speak English. And they have no excuse. Some churches claim to be multi-ethnic and multicultural until you visit their services. You know, you got Korean pastors. Oh, our church is multi-ethnic. I'm like, yeah, let me go. Let me check it out. You go there. Everybody's Korean. Except two white guys and a black guy sitting at the front. 
But hey, you go to the white church. We are multi-ethnic. And there's like two Koreans sitting. And they've both been adopted. And so they're adoptees. So there ain't no Asians up in there. There ain't no multiculturalism, multi-ethnic, you know. Other than the token black or white or Asian guy, most of these churches are not multi-ethnic. Let's be real. The church needs to be countercultural instead of conforming to the culture we see around us. Scripture says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. The world does not have Christ. They're going to be racist. That's all they know. They don't know the love of God. But we do. The church has got to be different. The church should inspire racial reconciliation in the cities. And that's Martin Luther King. That's right. The church cannot conform to the patterns of the world of being racist, ethnocentric, homophobic, xenophobic. We cannot conform to these patterns. The word of the Lord says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. You know what that word nations is in the Greek? Ethnesine. Same word for ethnos, where we get the word Gentile. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. You know why Jesus went bugwa when he went in the temple? You know why? We think it's because people were making a profit from selling the sacrifices and lambs and animals. And that these poor Jews, oh no, you know, they, they were already so poor. And they, when they make a long journey to Jerusalem, a lot of the animals that uh, the, the perfect sacrifice they would bring, these animals won't make the journey. And so a lot of them start, start bringing animals and they just start bringing money. And then they go into the temple and then they would buy an animal that was found in the temple area, the outer courts. But you know what? what another reason why Jesus was upset, it wasn't because people were extorting the Jews. You know, it wasn't like, you know, you go to a football stadium and you try to buy a drink and they're like, $6 for a soft drink. What is this? You know, that, that's not why Jesus started throwing over tables. <laughs> what? $50 for a pigeon? No. How dare you? $29 at the most. No, that's not, that's not the only reason. It's not the only reason. One of the reasons why is because these money changers, these merchants, they had set up in the court of the Gentiles. In effect, saying, like it reflected their ethnocentrism, their, their racism. We don't want any Gentiles to come and find the one true God. So you know what? We're, we're going to just take up all that space that's reserved for the court of Gentiles. And we're going to turn it into a big old market. And Jesus, that's why he said, my house, have you not read? My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations, for all peoples. You know, man was originally created in the image of God. And when Christ died, he died to restore that image. To restore what it means to be fully human. Because we are all created in the image of God, we all, although we look different, our eye shapes different, our skin color is different, our hair, hair, our hair or lack of hair is different. 
We might all have all these differences, but we're all created in the image of God. You know, I preached at the leadership retreat this past weekend about how God has called New Philly to carry a forerunner anointing. That we have a forerunner mandate on our house. And how as a church, we are called to go first. To go forth and step out and to steward the kingdom of God coming with power. To steward missions ministry that looks a little different than the way we've been doing the last 25 years. To do discipleship with a little more depth than the way the church has known. We're called to go first. We're called to be forerunners. But New Philly is also a forerunner in the sense that God wants us to be a multi-ethnic church as well. He wants us to be a first fruits of what churches all over the earth will look like in the future. Do you believe that? It's not by accident that we are so diverse here. And, you know, for, I'm going to talk to the Korean, Korean Americans for a second. Korean, any Korean diaspora, I'm going to talk to you for a second. By virtue of our cross-cultural experience, we have leverage in being able to build a multi-ethnic house. Do you guys understand that? As Korean Americans, Korean Canadians, Korean Aussies, Korean any diaspora... We grew up with the racism. Some of you, you were the only Asian in your entire city, in your entire school. Others, it was more diverse, but you still face racism. By virtue of our experience, we have leverage in giving leadership to a multi-ethnic house. And it is not an accident. That a Korean American who grew up in urban Philadelphia, in the city, not in the suburbs. Not that I have anything against people who grew up in the suburbs of Philly. But when people say, I'm from Philly, I like to hear from them, where in Philly? And they, they used to say, well, Conshohocken, Pennsylvania. That's not Philly. <laughs> but it is not an accident that God has raised up a Korean American to provide leadership for this multi-ethnic church. You know why? Because by virtue of our experience... We have a greater leverage in providing a global type leadership and leading a multi-ethnic type congregation. We know how it feels to be misunderstood. We know how it feels to be called, you know, Sunho? No? What's your name again? Suki? What? Suki Young? We know how it feels to be the minority. But here's the thing, New Philly, because we have so many people on leadership that have gone through this type of experience, being multi-ethnic is like natural here for us. We don't even really think about it. But today, what I'm calling you to do is be more intentional about it, because we can go deeper than where we're at. This is what we've arrived at kind of incidentally, but what, where we can arrive at intentionally is going to be far beautiful. And what's also beautiful about having a multi-ethnic house is that we're missional by nature. You know, people who grew up in some small town in America, apart and isolated from everything else, the only thing they knew is shopping malls and Walmarts, 
and the only culture they're exposed to is MTV. Never travel outside of their country. Never been on an airplane. You put them on the missions field and they die. <laughs> what is this? Bugs! Bugs everywhere! Why are there so many bugs? Because the rest of the world has to deal with bugs. Why are these people, why, why is there electricity wires all over on the outside? Because the rest of the world does not have nice infrastructure like America. You know, the one thing I always notice when I go on a mission trip, when I went to Kazakhstan, when I went to Cambodia, when I went to the Philippines, to the slums of India, the one thing I always, always re, um, recognize or, or what I always notice is the lack of in- infrastructure. But you go to America, you don't think about electric lines because they're nicely, neatly put up on top on these tall things. You go to the Philippines, it's just like a little, little baby can reach up and grab the electric wires. And you, you got to teach your baby. Baby, don't grab them electric wires. <laughs> just because they're within reach does not mean it's safe. I mean, these babies need to, they, they know. One of, one, of, one of the amazing strengths of a multi-ethnic house is that we are missional by nature. And you know what? To be Christian is to be missional. A good Christian is a missional Christian. A Christian that knows how to be selfless and lay down what they're used to and lay down their comforts to preach the gospel to another people group. Usually a people group that has less money than you. That is less educated than you. For you to communicate the treasures of the gospel without looking down upon them. For you not only to bring them to Christ, but to disciple them in a way that empowers them. That takes missional Christianity to do that. But a lot of Western missions going on today, it's just a handout. It's just a charity handout. Let's go over there. Let us help you for one month. And then we out. Let's, let's show you how Christianity ought to be done. The way we do it in Tennessee. In the Pentecostal churches of Tennessee. Hey, Filipinos, come look at what we do in the Pentecostal churches of Tennessee. Follow the same methods and you'll have Christianity. That's not missional. That's just simply the result of non-multi-ethnic churches, ethnocentric churches that go out and do missions. That's the kind of missions result you're going to see. The church, no matter where you're at right now, whether you're an all-white church, you're an all-Korean church, you're an all-Chinese church, as long as you're not an immigrant church, and we can't put this stuff on our parents. They don't speak English. On the Korean parents, they, they go to Korean church because they, they got to listen to a Korean sermon. Unless your parents can speak English very well, then they got no excuse. But... But yeah, we, we, whether you're all white or all Asian or whatnot, we all need to start moving toward being missional. And to be a better missional church, you got to embrace the multi-ethnic nature of the kingdom of God. Now, the primary culture of the church should be the culture of the kingdom. The culture of the king. The culture of Christ. That's kingdom culture. Now, what I want to point out is that kingdom culture does not nullify or remove our individual cultures. 
That's not the point of my message. It's abandon your Pakistani culture, abandon your Thai culture, abandon your Korean culture, and only embrace kingdom culture. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am saying is that kingdom culture must take precedence when things in our individual cultures come in conflict with kingdom culture. I'm Asian, so let me talk about my Asian culture and some of the uh, conflicts that we see in the church today. For example, I'll give you three examples. One, Asian culture says not to be open to not to be vulnerable uh, and just keep it to yourself. Don't trouble nobody. Most Asian cultures do not encourage you to open up that much. But scripture encourages us, us to confess our sins to each other that we may be healed. Asian cultures say to keep your testimony of healing and deliverance, your testimony of uh, being healed from, your, from sexual abuse, from drug addiction, an abortion you had. <gasps> Asians get abortions? Yes, they do. It's not that Asians don't get abortions. Asians just don't talk about it. And Asian culture says, keep these testimonies a secret to save face for your family. This is the virtuous thing to do, according to a guy named Confucius, not Christ. But kingdom culture says... And we got to do our best to honor our mother and father, but not at the expense of hiding our testimony. Our testimony releases power. It becomes a prophetic word for everyone who's going through the same struggle. They begin to believe that what God has done for you, God can, I guess, do for me. And they begin to believe that God will heal them, that God will deliver them. Kingdom culture says we must be unashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation, unto sozo. Salvation in the Greek is not just salvation, a ticket to heaven, but salvation meaning healing, deliverance, a holistic salvation, healing, and deliverance. We are to be unashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for our healing, deliverance, our salvation. But Asian culture says, what are you doing? Take down the MP3 from your church's internet. Website. What are you doing going around telling everybody that you did drugs during your college years? What do you think your mama's going to have to talk about when I go talk to all the deacons at church? When, they, when their kids are telling them about, you know, you know, uh, that, you know that kid, you know, anyway, yeah. <clears throat> Asian culture, third example, believes that when a man and woman get married... That the parents are still in charge of their child. For all, for all the Asians in here, you didn't know that. Most Asian cultures, they actually teach that. Especially in Confucian culture. They teach actually that two families are getting married. When my mom said that to me, I was like, oh yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, you know, that's why it's important that the in-laws get along. Because it's, it's kind of like two families getting... No! <laughs> it sounds good for a moment. It sounds honorable and virtuous. But find it in the scriptures. You're not going to find that in the scriptures. In fact, in the scriptures, you're going to find the exact opposite. 
For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. See, I'm attacking a demonic stronghold right now. So don't mind the screaming. There's an anointing going out as I speak this out. The demonic powers are opposing ruthlessly. Because they've created a system of beliefs that looks so virtuous and nice. That's captivated entire countries. But the king is arriving on the scene and says, repent. Make a decision in your mind to change your way of thinking. For these ways are not the ways of the kingdom. These are not the ways of the king. Scripture teaches that it is best and healthy for parents to let their children go and let them take authority over their own homes. Mama boy syndrome is not a little cute thing. All the women said, being a a mama's boy is not cute. It's not cute. It's not cute to the girls and it's not cute to Jesus. You know what God, we know what Jesus says to the men when they get married? Jesus says, man up. You're the head of the household now. But my mama's saying that, you know, I have to do this and I have to do that because my mama lent me this money and my mama has made all these sacrifices and my mama says that. Jesus says, man up. Start taking authority over your own house. Because I'm going to do something through your family. But I need somebody to take the charge, to take the authority, to be the leader. In the church, kingdom culture must take precedence over any single culture that we adhere to. And I talked about how uh, the, one of the strengths of a multi-ethnic church is that we're missional. And another strength is that it provides global leadership. When you have a multi-ethnic church, you have people that don't just stay in the comforts of, of just relating to people that are just like them. But they're continually going out and reaching out and relating to people that are not like them. They're continually stepping out of their discomforts. They're con- it's almost like every Sunday they got to go on a mission trip. <laughs> Where are you from? Thailand? Oh, I don't know nothing about Thailand. Oh, so uh, <coughs> how do they uh, greet each other in Thailand? Oh, Sawati Club. Oh, Sawati Club. Every week, it's like going on a mission trip. If you're at a multi-ethnic congregation, you've got to learn how to be selfless and how to see, see things from their perspective and how to honor and appreciate what they're bringing from their culture. And when you do that long enough, global leadership starts to be produced out of the house. Another strength of multi-ethnic church is that a multi-ethnic church is able to see the full revelation of God. You know that every human culture on the earth is able to contribute a revelation of God in a way that's unique and different than, let's say, just Western or American culture. Just because we're so highly educated in America doesn't mean that we have the full revelation of God. A multi-ethnic church is able to see the fullness of who God is. Yeah. 
It's able to appreciate God's characteristics through the various cultures of the earth. You know, this message was inspired by a pastor named Rodney Wu. He's a pastor from Texas. Rodney Wu, you would assume, we did a video Skype call in my church and society class this past week. And I expected Rodney to be Chinese. His last name's Wu. Wu. Y'all know Russell Peters? Okay. All right, all right. <clears throat> yeah, his last name's Wu. Anyway, guy shows up and he's white. And I don't know his whole story. I think he's like partially Chinese or something. But yeah, he led a multi-ethnic church in Texas. And he wrote a book called The Color of Church. And then recently, a, people in Singapore recruited him and brought him to Sing- Singapore. Now he's in Singapore leading a multi-ethnic Baptist church. A Southern Baptist church, by the way. And by the way, I've, I've noticed in Southern Baptists, there's a lot of secret charismatics among the Southern Baptists right now. A lot of them are very open to the Holy Spirit. A lot of them moving in the anointing, but they won't tell you that. Because <laughs> they want to be good Southern Baptists. But anyway, this pastor, Ronnie Wu, he said the challenge, though, there are strengths of a multi-ethnic church, but some of the challenges of a multi-ethnic church is that there is usually a lot of conflict, tension, communication issues. It's not comfortable. It's much more comfortable to go to a homogeneous church, isn't it? Where everybody's like you. Or you go to a church where there are homogeneous cliques. Cliques. <clears throat> cliques. <clears throat> groups. You know, homogeneous groups. You know, you got the African-American group. You got the Chinese group. You got the Korean group. You know, you go to a church like that. It's much more comfortable, right? But Ronnie said to be a multi-ethnic church, people got to step out of that all the time. And it's not easy. So there are certain challenges. But are we willing to deal with the conflicts, the tension, the discomfort to be truly the church that Christ died for when he was crucified? Because when Christ was dying on the cross, he was under the impression, I am destroying the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. That little monument, the little sign in the court of Gentile is going to be gone. In fact, the whole temple is going to be gone at one point because of my death. And I'm going to start building a new temple. He's under the impression that he's building a church, an ecclesia, a a group of called out ones that consists of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. He's under that impression. But when Jesus looks down on the earth, how many churches like that are there? We got to be willing to deal with the discomfort So that we can be the church Christ had in mind when he broke down that hostility. So let me give you guys three application points. Three application points to be a more multi-ethnic church. To be a true multi-ethnic, to continue to be a multi-ethnic church. Number one, be loving. Let me explain what that means. Teacher of the law asked Jesus. Jesus taught, love your neighbor as yourself. Teacher of the law said, who is my neighbor, Jesus? And then Jesus told him a parable called the parable of the good Samaritan. 
A Jew got beaten up and left for dead. He was robbed and left for dead on the road. And a Jewish priest, another Jewish leader, passes by on the other side of the road. A third guy comes, and he's a Samaritan. Now, here's a little something about the Samaritans. Samaritans were considered reject people of God. Reject people of God. See, the Samaritans, their lineage came from the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom consisted primarily of Judah, the tribe of Judah. But the northern kingdom, consisting of the other tribes, when they got their own king, every king in Israel's lineage committed idolatry. They had a syncretistic religion of Yahweh. And so God judged them really fast, really early. Judah went back and forth. And so God judged them a little later, but still judged them because they also went into idolatry. But pretty much when the northern kingdom got destroyed, it got completely destroyed. And so what happened was these people are scattered. They start intermingling, intermarrying with the people wherever they're scattered to. And whatever these uh, northern kingdom people, remaining remnant people, they started to gather together. A lot of them were called Samaritans because the place that they worshipped is different. It wasn't Jerusalem. It was, it was on the uh, Samaria, right? Yeah, thank you. Westminster. I'm going to look at Pastor Paul you from now on while he's here. <laughs> Paul and, uh, and Jamie. I'll look at Jamie too. They both graduated with an MDiv in, from Westminster in Philly. Uh, Four-year MDiv degree. At Torch, it's three years. And that in itself feels long, but they did four years. I mean, I could check all my biblical facts with him. I don't even need to look at a concordance anymore. I just look at you from now on. But yeah, these northern, these northern people, kingdom people, these rejected, intermarried people, eventually they were called Samaritans. So the Jews abhorred them even more than Gentiles. At least Gentiles, they have respectable positions and positions of authority. But Samaritans were just regarded the scum of the earth. Just really rejected, condescending views that Jews had toward them. And in this parable of the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan picks up this guy who's robbed and beaten and left for dead, puts him on donkey, takes him to an inn, takes care of him, and then puts down money and says, if there's more costs, I'll pay for it when I return. And Jesus asks, which one of these was a neighbor? <clears throat> what am I trying to say? This is true love. Being intentional to reach out across racial, ethnic, cultural, social, economic, and educational boundaries. That's what it means to be loving. Do you guys get this right now? I don't think you guys are getting this right now. Look at me. Jesus taught the parable of the Good Samaritan to define what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And instead of teaching a practical, pragmatic lesson on how to love somebody, be forgiving, be kind, be gracious, be gentle, be patient. He instead uses a parable about racism. This is what it means. True love. Being intentional to reach out across racial, ethnic, cultural, social, economic. Don't tell me there's no educational boundaries. There are people in here. Some of you, you're not willing to associate and hang out with certain people because they don't have a certain degree level as you. Don't tell me that doesn't exist. 
It exists in the Korean culture. And strongly, might I add, you go to a Korean church and people who have the same degrees, I was told, they constantly flock together. My own father, he didn't even graduate from high school. Whenever he went to a Korean church, nobody even gave him the time of day. Don't tell me that it's not preventing people still from coming into the house of God. Being loving is being intentional about crossing those boundaries. In John chapter 4, Jesus himself reached out to a Samaritan. And not even just a Samaritan, but it was a Samaritan woman. And not only a Samaritan woman, it was a Samaritan woman with a very sexual promiscuous uh, reputation. Jesus' reputation was completely on the line. And he crossed that boundary to do what? To show love. To restore her. That's what love is all about. It's not about just loving our other Korean American buddies. Or just white people flocking with white people and just saying, hey, I love you. Or just, or let's go with the Americans. White, um, white Korean, black all the Americans just getting together and just being tummy tummy with the Americans. Don't tell me you guys aren't guilty of it. I saw it on our ministry trips. Don't tell me that Naima didn't feel uncomfortable when she went on the ministry trip to Las Vegas and to San Francisco. And we weren't being intentional about including her. We weren't intentional about saying, hey, did you get that joke? Hey, do you understand what we're talking about? Don't tell me it doesn't exist here. It does. And we got to be intentional about eliminating it and and including people and and crossing those boundaries because that's what it means to have true love. I'm sorry, Naime, if that made you a little uncomfortable. You know, I love Naima. I mean, I love her whole family. Like her sister from D.C. flew into our retreat in California. And she just came up to me and she said she's been listening to some of the sermons and Naima's just been encouraging her. Why don't you apply for sons from afar? Because, you know, you don't have a good church there that you're, you're getting covering from. So, you know, why don't you get covering from my church in Korea? And her sister's like, what you talking about? You tripping? <laughs> but she came to the retreat and when she was so touched, at the end of the retreat, she, she just came up to me and she said, you're my papa. <laughs> she just embraced me. And, and I looked at her and I, she's of a completely different culture. Grew up with a completely different language. Doesn't look like me. (laughs) And the Lord was saying, embrace her. Embrace her as her father. As her spiritual father. First application point is, be loving. Be loving. Second is, be filled with the Spirit. You know, without the Holy Spirit, we cannot be a multi-ethnic church. We cannot remain multi-ethnic. In fact, the outpourings we receive from this past weekend, from this weekend, all these outpourings of the Spirit and outpourings of fire, many times these outpourings, the fruit of these outpourings is racial reconciliation. It's hostility being removed. In your biological family, 
hostility removed. Among your friends, hostility removed. Among friend groups in the church, hostility removed. But it goes further than that. Across racial boundaries, hostility removed. Across cultural boundaries, hostility removed. When the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes, it enables us to truly experience what it means to be the household of God, the family of God. Without the Holy Spirit, I believe without the outpouring of the Spirit, this is very difficult to apply. Nearly impossible. Um, If you look back on our original passage, the last verse said, In Him, in Christ, you you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Remember, the Apostle Paul's theology was very pneumatological. He was very Holy Spirit-centric. And so wherever the Apostle Paul did ministry, there were outpourings of the Spirit. Signs and wonders, healings and miracles, just like we saw at our retreats. Those are like what the early church meetings, I believe, look like. Gentiles of all these different races, they would come, they would hear the message. And the Apostle Paul says, if you want to receive Christ, come up to the front. If you already received Christ, but you want to receive the fire of the Spirit, come up to the front. And people will come up, he'll pray for them, and signs and wonders. People who need healing, come up to the front. Signs and wonders, miracles, healings. And when people have that common experience, and they were filled by the same Holy Spirit, all the walls start crumbling down. And people began to worship God in spirit and in truth. Man cannot make this happen. Only the Holy Spirit. And so when I say to be filled with the Spirit, I mean it in the most charismatic Pentecostal way possible. I'm not talking theory or just mental ascent. I'm talking an experience like the experience we see in Pentecost. Like we see in Acts 4. Acts 2. And all throughout the scriptures. And number three, I'm going to end with this. Have empathy. Have empathy. Especially if you're part of the majority group. I'm talking to Koreans here today. Korean Koreans, Korean Americans. Let's get to the let's get to the real majority group, Korean Americans. This includes me. Because the Korean natives are here and they live in this country. But when they come to New Philly, they feel not like the majority group. They feel like the minority. They constantly have to be like, what? why is everybody laughing? What did Pastor Christian say? <laughs> We're the majority group, right? Let's, let's face it, Korean Americans in the room right now. We're the majority group. Well, let me tell you something. We got to learn how to empathize with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus said in Matthew seven twelve, do unto others as you would like them to do to you. You know, the other day, Pastor Aaron... She was dividing up our leadership groups. And uh, she said, hey, Nathan. Yeah, some some of you get into Nathan's group. Now, the problem was Nathan goes to Itaewon, not Hillside. She looked at Stephen Franklin, a white guy here at New Philly, and called him Nathan, another white guy at our Itaewon campus. Okay. Hey, you know, she had a brain fart, right? That's what she said. 
<clears throat> it's not like she doesn't know both of them. It's just that, you know, she just, she was kind of busy and she didn't think, think it through. <clears throat> and, you know, we're all joking. And, you know, sometimes I'm tempted to, to say, right, as a minority that grew up in white neighborhoods, black neighborhoods, I'm sometimes tempted to say, hey, now you know how it feels. Because my black teachers, all right, it took like three months for them to get my name right. They just call me every other Asian, Chinese, Vietnamese guy in the, in the whole classroom. Never my own name. Or my white teachers did the same thing. Or, or, or they won't even try to say my first name. They would just call me by my last name. Because there were like five Lees in the room, right? Just it's mad easy. Lee, 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 Lee. Are you not Lee? Kim. No, Kim Park? Okay, all right. I'm done. And sometimes I'm tempted to say, well, tough luck. Now you know how I feel. But that's not what a Christian says or does or thinks or feels. God has given me this racism experience so that I can empathize better. Not so I can turn it around and be like, well, now you live in Korea. Now you get to deal. No. We've got to learn how to empathize. How many of us are doing that on a typical Sunday? How many of us are doing that when we go to small group and community group? You know? You know, oh, you know, that, that sister from Cambodia, she's just really quiet. That sister from the Philippines, she's so quiet. No, they're not quiet. They're mad loud. It's just that you're not empathizing, perhaps, with someone. You, you guys are talking about all these American jokes. Ah, yeah, yeah. You see San Diego. Ah, oh, I love in and out in and out yeah. I love football. Yeah, yeah, quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Tom Brady, you know, talking about all these American things. And that person's really quiet because they feel so left out. And you're like, sister, don't be shy. How come you're so quiet? And she's thinking in her head, I'm about to punch you. Be loving, be filled with the Spirit, and have empathy. You know, the incarnation and crucifixion of Christ was the greatest manifestation of empathy ever seen in history. Think about it. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things. The Bible says in John chapter 1, nothing was created except through him. He was there when God marked off the shorelines and says to the waves, this far and no further. The Lord of the universe leaves heaven to come down and empathize with us. Fallen, sinful, selfish humanity. He comes in the incarnation to empathize. Because not only are we guilty of sin, but we are also victims of sin. Living in a fallen world doesn't mean that we are only sinners, but many times we are also the victim of sinners. Injustice, abuse, theft, deception, betrayal. Christ comes in the incarnation, in the form of man. 
to manifest empathy. You see, he wasn't Jewish. Like Jesus is not Jewish. The Son of God is not Jewish. But when he took on flesh, he had to be a Jew. Inside, he knows his true identity. But he continually empathized as a Jew. On the outside, he looked like a Jew, so I guess that helped. But imagine if today, if today, I, like you, you and your spirit and soul, you switch bodies with somebody else of a different race. Imagine living like that. You who are white, you, you switch bodies with a, a black guy, not even a black guy, a black girl. Totter. Imagine living life like that. Now, seriously. That's what Jesus essentially had to do. He knew inside he's not a Jew, but he took on that flesh and he empathized and he identified with the Jews. And he saw the oppression of the Jews. He saw how, mis- how they misunderstood the scriptures he had revealed. How these Pharisaic teachers of the law had taken over the Jewish customs and laws. And were oppressing people, not by the spirit of God, but by a demonic, satanic, lying spirit. And a lot of times the anger went to those Pharisees. But Jesus, he comes as a Jew. But not only a Jew, but as a human. Jesus isn't human by nature. But he took on human flesh to empathize with our human frailty and weakness. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Christ, he has empathy on your pain, on your loneliness, on your betrayal, on your physical affliction. Jesus was familiar with physical affliction. You don't, you're not telling me he went to the cross and did not feel physically physical affliction he empathizes with what that is like he empathizes with all of our feelings of abandonment feeling like an orphan jesus said on the cross my god my god why have you forsaken me you don't think he empathizes with when you feel like an orphan you feel like you don't belong anywhere You're a black woman living in Korea, figuring out why am I here? And people are pushing you on the subway. People are staring at you on the streets. And you just feel like I don't belong anywhere in this country. Or even when you come to New Philly, people are not being intentional about empathizing with what you're going through. All the culture shocks that you go through on a daily day-to-day basis. And you just feel so alone. So abandoned. I'm telling you today, Jesus empathizes with that. He knows how it feels. He's not apathetic. He is full of love and compassion. And he wants you to receive his love. And it's only when we have received the love of Christ and been filled by the Holy Spirit 
that we now are enabled to love others with that same unconditional love. We cannot be multi-ethnic without the gospel. We cannot be multi-ethnic without the outpouring of the Spirit. Do you feel out of place sometimes? Third culture kids, do you sometimes feel out of place? Your friends have the American culture. The Canadians, they have hockey. The Aussies, they got rugby. What did I have? Cricket. Nobody plays cricket around here. And you just feel so out of place. But I'm here to tell you today. If you've put your faith in Christ, you are not an orphan. You are a member of the household of God. You are a member of the family of God. Come on. Come to the house of God. Be accepted and welcome here just as you are. When you come to the church, you should not feel like you have to fit in. That should never happen at a church. But when the church is not walking out its multi-ethnic DNA, that's the impression that we give off. When you come here to New Philly, be yourself. Be yourself. Be your quirky self. I lived in New Zealand, New Zealand for five years, and then I came back to Korea for three years. Then I lived in two years in Idaho, and now I'm back in Korea, and I don't know who I am. Well, you know who you are when you come to the house of God. Well, should I try to be American? No, be yourself. Should I be a Kiwi? No, be yourself. Be yourself. There is strength of global leadership inside of you. You are naturally missional. You can teach other white folks how to be missional. Just by being yourself. You know, the amazing thing I realize is when Jesus returns, he's not going to erase our ethnicities. Here's some news to you. He's not going to get rid of your ethnicity, your eye shape, your skin color, your hair type. We have no indication that the father is going to erase our ethnicity. And we have no indication that the Father is going to erase the ethnicity of Jesus. Which means, as far as we know, Jesus is going to be a Jew for all of eternity. He's not going to be some spirit ghost that's just floating around. Like, when Jesus returns, you're going to see him in the flesh. He's got a resurrected body in which we're all going to share in one day. He's going to come in the flesh and he's going to look like a Jew. I'm sorry, there is no black Jesus. There is no Korean Jesus. Jesus is a Jew. But when we receive, when we experience the love of Jesus, we don't really see his Jewishness, do we? A lot of times, we just receive that love. The spirit of Jesus. The spirit of that love. We just, there's, there's love see no color. Remember back in the day, in the early 90s, Cross Colors, this is a t-shirt company. My dad used to uh, illegally print t-shirts. And I remember at one point, everybody wanted that t-shirt. It said, love, see, no color. Cross Colors. And it was like this hip-hop thing to do. That's true. Love doesn't see any color. 
And God's love does not see color. But at the same time, he does not eliminate our ethnicity. We're just able to look beyond it. According to the book of Revelation, on that day when Jesus returns, there will be a multitude gathered from every tribe, language, people, and nation. How sad would it be that when Jesus returns, the church is still segregated? And we get thrust into the presence of God. And we're surrounded by all these people that we grew up being racist with and never overcame that racism. And now we're all fake pretending that we're all worshiping God with the same kind of heart and love. How sad would it be if on that day Jesus returns and there's this multitude. And if you really look closely, they're all segregated still. How sad would that be? Brothers and sisters, Christ has killed the hostility. We are no longer strangers and aliens. We are fellow citizens with the saints of all of history. Old Testament, New Testament. We're fellow citizens with the saints and we are members of the family of God. So let us build a house that reflects this amazing oneness. Amen? Amen. You know, I'm already so proud of the house. Because I see you guys doing it. And I never really preached on this. But I've already been seeing you guys doing it. And you know, you know what? You know, frankly, I'm living it too. Like, really? I did not intentionally choose a couple of white people, one black guy, uh, half Korean, uh, Korean native, uh, a few Korean Americans to be on staff in New Philly. I did not look at a United Colors of Benetton ad and be like, we want our church staff to look like that. I never did that. I just was led by the Spirit. Honestly, all the staff decisions I made was not like because I evaluated like 24 different strengths and and different indicators of psychology and all these things. This person would make a great staff. No, I said, Lord, um, I don't know about this person from Canada. (laughs) This white guy, Mennonite. I don't even know what a Mennonite is. I don't know about this guy, but Lord, do you want me to hire him? You want me to go after him? You want me to go and and cover him as his pastor and to bring him in into into the staff? And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, I want you to get that white guy. (laughs) I I didn't go after. I didn't say one day, uh, let me build a multicultural, multi-ethnic church one day. And so, you know, I got to start off by really investing into a non-Korean. So let me get a black guy and disciple him at Yonsei University. No, I didn't do that. In fact, it was completely like the, the Lord. I didn't, I didn't control it one bit. Because you know what, what happened? I was discipling a Korean-American girl that was dating Pastor Marcus at that time. <laughs> And I don't know if this is true. You have to check with Pastor Marcus. But he felt a little bit insecure, a little bit threatened, a little bit jealous that this Korean-American, you know, CCC staff is having one-on-one discipleship with my girlfriend in Korea. I need to go and check this out. So after one semester, he transferred to the study abroad at Yonsei University. And he came. And I remember when we had lunch, you know, I was, I was thinking, Lord, do you want me to embrace this guy and disciple him? But in his eyes, it looked like he was saying, Don't touch my girlfriend. (laughs) I didn't orchestrate that. 
I didn't orchestrate that, but you know, I, I started just meeting up, meeting up with him one on one, and God just used, started using me powerfully to just set things free from his life, to father him, to love him, to pour into him. Little knowing that one day he will be a pastor at New Philly. What am I trying to say? If you follow the leading of the Spirit, the Spirit of God is going to build a church that's multicultural, multi-ethnic, that's going to reflect that awesome day when Jesus returns. Jesus has destroyed hostility. So church, let us stop resurrecting it. Love one another. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. You know, I want to speak to our Sydney church plant in Australia. And we're about to get started in April. And as we open up our doors, in the beginning, I'm sure that we'll see a lot of Korean diaspora coming to our new Philly Sydney church. But make no mistake about it. That's what, where we might begin because that's who we're effective at reaching. But that's not where we're going to end up. That's not where we're going to get comfortable with. When we evangelize, we're going to evangelize regardless of skin color. We're going to reach out to the lost. So Sydney, as you begin, just be faithful. Just be led of the Spirit. Be loving. Be ready for the day when just a whole multitude of white Aussies start filling the church. Be ready for the day when Lebanese start coming in and turning from Islam and onto Jesus. Be ready for the day when Arab, Aboriginal people that have been abandoned in Australia and marginalized, they start coming to New Philly and they start worshiping and they join hands with a white person, a Korean Aussie and, and a Korean Kiwi and they raise their hands to the living God and say, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Don't be surprised. Just ready yourself for that day because God is already doing it here in the city of Seoul. Right after I graduated from New York University, my college mentor, Brother Michael, he prophesied over me. He said, Christian, I see you. And there's just a multitude, multitude of people. And they are all moving in the gifts of the Spirit. They're all embracing the ministry of the Spirit. It's an awesome scene. Oh my goodness. Brother Christian, listen to me. I just see you in the middle of a multicultural, multi-ethnic congregation where the gifts are in operation. I don't know what that means, brother. But I want you to hold that to your heart. I didn't know what it meant. But I kept praying into it. And in my mind, there's only one way to do church. And that's to destroy every dividing wall of hostility. And I'm so proud of New Philly that we are well on our way. That we're already experiencing that and we're going to continue to experience that. And it's not going to be with a, with a token, you know, like affirmative action type of ministry. It's just by us being loving, being filled with the Spirit and having empathy that we're naturally going to continue to grow as a multi-ethnic house. 
And I pray that one day my dad, he'll step into New Philly. And he'll see church done a completely different way. Than the socioeconomic barriers that he saw when he visited Korean churches and his youth. And I hope that it gives him a revelation, a manifestation of God. That will open his heart to the gospel. And I hope he does that. I hope God does that for many of your family members. Father, I just thank you, Lord. Just praise you, God, for this congregation. I just praise you for this congregation, Lord. Come on, let's all stand to our feet. Let's just worship God together. One heart, one voice. As one people.